0: financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target the rules change constantly and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves this is the labenthal report with michael hartsman and dominic Tavella. we'll break down the news trends and overall direction of the markets telling you what may be coming next investment opportunities and what to avoid now here are your hosts dominic Tavella and michael hartsman
1: Good evening. I'm Michael Hartzman. Today is Tuesday, September 14th, and I'm on, as always, with my partner, Dominic Tavella. And how are you this evening, Dominic? Good
2: evening, Mike. Doing well, doing well on this glorious day. So uh, looking forward to this, uh, this uh, meeting tonight, this podcast tonight.
1: Yeah, we took last week off. Um, so we have Jamie, Jamie Desmond on tonight, who's the Chief Operating Officer at Ladenburg-Thalman, and we're going to continue the theme that we had a few weeks ago. Uh, Jamie is very active in women in finance. She's actually the co-chairperson of the advisor group Women Forward Initiative. So we're going to talk to her about being a woman in the business. And if uh, anyone wants to get into the business, um, what's that, what's that like, what the challenges are. And uh, Jamie should know because in addition to all that, she was also named the top 50 women in wealth advisory back in 2016 so we are excited to have her um, this evening
2: Uh, but before we go there uh shortly we should just touch on we've had a challenging uh, week and actually a couple of weeks in the market and we've been off air Um, so maybe it's a good time to kind of catch up and remind people that markets don't go straight up
1: yeah you know the talking heads on tv and i guess You're a talking head on TV from time to time and I'm one on a podcast, but we like to use euphemisms frequently. And the one I would use for this market dom is just kind of sloppy, just kind of drifting lower and then pops up a little bit, drifts lower a little bit. But as we talked about this morning, when we talked to our advisors, there's really no real reason, right? There's no real catalyst for this to be happening, other than Um, they don't go up all the time.
2: Yeah, look, uh, you know, we had a melt up, right, for quite a mm-hmm. long period of time. We hadn't seen a, a 5% or greater correction in in over f- over 10 months, I think is the number, right, Mike? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're in a process now of a little bit of a meltdown. Uh, there's nothing really dramatic out there. There's nothing really that that scares us. Having said that, we are starting to see evidence that the economy is not growing as fast as it was. And we've, we've talked a, a considerable amount of time, spent a considerable amount of time on the subject. Uh, uh, inflation worries, uh, pipeline for, for products and services coming into the market, being restricted, There's some legislation coming or not coming out of Washington, higher interest rates, all these, all these reasons that the markets were ignoring just Four, five, six weeks ago, now seems to be the, the topic du jour. And maybe we go through a period here over the next couple of weeks where the market melts down a little bit, but we don't see anything really dramatic or frightening.
1: Yeah, I think today, which was really telling is there was a lot of hyperventilating about the inflation number that came out this morning. And the inflation number was tame. It wasn't as hot as it was projected to be. And the futures were up in the morning. I think the market was up pretty substantially in the morning. And then we gave it all back and the market closed down pretty, not substantially, but it closed. It was an ugly day and Dow was down almost 300 points. And I think that, Dom, is is really telling of where the market is right now because in a good environment, markets don't go down on good news. And today the market went down on what should have be considered good news.
2: Yeah, again, Mike, I bring up this uh, analogy of a melt up, melt down. I mean, we got inflation data a month ago. Uh, and you would have thought on that number, the markets would have gone down. Supply chain constraints have been an issue all year long. Companies cannot build as much products as they want to. We, we know what's going on in the auto industry and computer chips. And that theme is just over and over again. Well, if companies can't build the products and consumers can't buy them, that by definition slows economic growth. But all that noise was ignored a month ago. It's, mm-hmm. literally, it's, it's not dramatically different today than it was a month ago, but the noise a month ago was kind of ignored, and today uh, people are paying more attention to it. Seasonally, September traditionally is not a good month, so maybe that's playing a big part of it, but we've been saying for, for weeks and maybe months that you know we're prepared for it. We have excess cash sitting on the sidelines, and we will get through this one too, but I, I don't see a major pullback at all on the horizon, at least not now.
1: Well, there's nothing at the moment to really cause it. And, and as we brought up a couple of weeks ago, I think Dr. Siegel said this, with interest rates so low, at the end of the day, there's still not a lot of heck of a places to put money.
2: And, and we have brought this up in past conversations, Mike, right? The, almost on a daily basis, uh, individuals, clients are looking at what they're earning in their bank accounts in their CDs and their money market accounts and going, there's got to be an alternative federal turn to this. And they're looking at the markets going, okay, I'm willing to put some money at risk volatility in exchange for a reasonable rate of return. I think in the end, that's what keeps the markets from going down substantially. There are some big Wall Street talking heads talking
1: about a 20% correction. I think, I think that's unlikely. It's possible, but unlikely. Any look, anything's possible. And I do remember vividly at the end of 2018, We got whipsawed pretty good. We were having a decent year, and then the wheels fell off for about six weeks at the end of 2018, which not only killed our performance numbers, killed everyone's performance numbers. Um, Anything's possible, but I agree with you. I really don't see that happening based on the circumstances we're dealing with right now.
2: uh, Again, totally agree with that, Mike, but we've been
1: very proactive
2: about it. We're not going to just close our eyes and hope and pray. Uh, so we are prepared for a pullback. And if it's what we think it'll be, uh, then it presents itself as a pretty decent buying opportunity for us.
1: Could not, you know, again, I cannot agree with you more. Um, so on that note, we will take a quick break. We'll come back with Jamie Desmond and she'll talk about her career as a woman in in, in our business and uh, hopefully shed some light on other young ladies who have an interest in uh, following in her footsteps. We'll be right back after this break.
0: Are
3: you paying federal taxes on your cash? I work hard for my money that I keep in cash. And for the life of me, I can't imagine why anyone would want to pay federal taxes on their cash. That's why I keep my cash in the Lebenton Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-T-A-X, le tax. Rates on cash are already so low, why pay federal taxes on the interest your cash earns? Remember, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. The Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, L-E-T-A-X, may help you earn more on the cash you've worked hard for and keep more after-tax dollars in your pocket. Find out more about the fund by speaking with a Labenthal Global Advisors Private Wealth Advisor or its sponsor, at dcmadvisors.com. For your hard-earned cash, why pay the tax when there's the tax? Laventhal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's not what you make. It's what you keep. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800 441 7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax after the fund buys a security the irs may determine that a bond issued as tax exempt should in fact be taxable there is no affiliation between dcm advisors llc and Ultimus fund distributors llc dcm advisors and Ultimus fund distributors are not affiliated with labenthal financial services inc or labenthal global advisors
0: llc now back to the labenthal report
1: all right i'm michael hartzman back with dominic tavella And our guest this evening, Jamie Desmond, the Chief Operating Officer of Ladenburg-Thalman Asset Management. Jamie, welcome, and thank you for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me. and glad to be here.
1: Welcome, Jamie.
4: Thank
1: you. So, Mike, I'll jump in if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. Jump right in. Uh, Listen, Jamie,
2: thank you so much for joining us. And this is a subject that's very, very uh, near and dear to our hearts. Both myself and Michael have daughters that are in the business, and we're always looking for opportunities to make sure we bring women into the business and we involve women both on the asset management side and on the advisor side. So uh, jump in, Jamie, anytime. The water's fine.
4: Awesome. Well, I um, consider myself really lucky to be in this business. Um, We're still a minority, if you will. Women only make up about 15% of financial advisors and most positions in financial services companies. But if you think about, the average company, whether it's a small independent business, um, a, a large broker dealer, an insurance company, a mutual fund company, you know, this business is so broad and so wide, and there's so many opportunities uh, for women, and I think the misconception is that people often think of a financial advisor sales role when they hear woman in finance, but think about HR, accounting, recruiting, marketing, all of these departments and aspects of the business where... It's just the company you work for. It's, it's not unique because it's financial services. And there's so many skilled people that are, that are in pro- college programs and all those you know, ranges of different types of opportunities that I'm talking about that I think the first place to start is what is, you know, what is financial services? And, and it is so broad.
1: So, Jamie, on that note, what is a Women Forward initiative and, and what, what part of our business do they focus on?
4: Yeah. Women Forward is actually a, a program unique to Advisor Group, which is one of the larger independent conglomerates. Uh, and my company, Lattenberg, was purchased by them just about two years ago. Um, so I'm excited to be part of that initiative because we too had a women's initiative at our firm. And the, the goal really is to help you know promote our female financial advisors to create unique networking opportunities, educational opportunities, um, to help them with growing their business. So whether that's recruiting new people into their business, helping to find new clients, unique ways of reaching out to those clients, um, it's, really, it's really pretty broad. And so I'd say probably one of the best aspects of the program is that we have a mentoring program uh, that's been highly successful. And I think, you know, whether it's our business or any other business, you think about somebody's going to be a doctor, they do a residency, right? I mean, that's just common practice in that field. Uh, whereas in our business, that's not as common. So it's really nice that we have this mentorship program where we can bring you know, current students that are in college, those just out of college, or perhaps you both talked about daughters that are in the business, you know, daughters that are looking to maybe take over a family practice someday. Uh, and the mentorship really just helps to give them some additional training, networking, and hear from somebody other than you know, maybe who they're directly working with. So we, we pair up experienced financial advisors. With those less experienced, often starting out, so that they have a sounding board, somebody to help them with setting goals, time management, holding them accountable, just like a a common mentorship program. But that's probably been one of the most successful aspects of what we do. In addition to some of the things I mentioned, and um, we we have great feedback about mentor-mentee pairs staying together well beyond just a one-year commitment that they make to each other, but ten years down in the business, still shooting ideas to each other, whether it's across town or across the country.
2: So, Jamie, how, how do you encourage? I don't get the feeling that even today, um, you know, a lot of these young ladies get recruited out of college or kind of uh, given a little push in, in our direction. How do we convince more of these young people to come into our industry and particularly young ladies to do that?
4: Yeah, I think, you know, what, what the three of us all do is, you know, we work closely with clients. On their everyday needs. So, whether that's planning to put their own child through college, planning for retirement, buying a house, um, you know, all aspects of financial planning and investing for goals. Um, And it's a very consultative process. And often women, um, you know, have naturally a very nurturing sense. You know, thinking of uh, people have a misconception. You think of teachers, you think of nurses. Those are roles where you would traditionally see a woman. Well, if you think, of a financial advisor, you're, we're essentially playing that same role. So it's your financial health as opposed to your actual health. And so there's so many ways where, you know, I, I personally sit with clients and my business partner after 20 years is, is a man and we always come to the table together. And sometimes I connect better with people than maybe he does. Sometimes it's, maybe it's the wife because she feels more comfortable talking to me. Oftentimes actually it's, it might be the man or if there's, um, you know, children or grandchildren involved in the conversation. So I think, you know, what's important is for people to see that being a financial advisor is not selling something in any way, it's helping clients. And who doesn't want to have a career where you feel like, you know, you're helping people in society, whether it's to, like I said, achieve retirement, build a dream house, buy the boat, whatever it is, there's so much of a sense of accomplishment when you can do that with, for anybody.
1: So Jamie, you know Dominic and I, and I'm sure you have in your career as well, have attended so many seminars that were titled "Women and Investing." Yes. And 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 the way you talk to a a a woman investor versus a male investor, it really is Venus and Mars. It really is. So so if if women literally make up half the population, and and you're dealing with a married couple, why do you think that only only 15% of this industry is made up of women if there's this n- enormous gap that needs to be filled in communicating with half of the investing public.
4: I think as far as communicating with women investors, um, you know, everybody has their needs and sometimes they go about different ways of achieving it. And, you know, we you may have an engineering client, right, that wants to know the numbers and the data. Um, and then you may have... The doctor client that says, I don't have time for this. I trust you. So just just run with the money. So everyone's personality is different, whether it's a man or a woman. But women tend to um, be more goal oriented. So rather than looking at numbers, they want to see their their level of achievement towards a specific goal. So if we say we're saving $500,000 to buy that house in Florida, which will eventually be our retirement, they don't want to know about 4.92. They want to know, am I halfway there to achieving that goal? Am I closer than that? Um, and so I think that, that that's like difference in the personality, the Venus and the Mars. I think that makes a difference because um, we can all sit down and go through quarterly reports and look at numbers and look at the market. Just like in your first segment where you're talking about the volatility lately, um, you know, another misconception is that women are naturally more conservative investors than men. And a lot of studies have not found that to be true. Women actually, according to statistics, might live longer. So they actually might have more of an aggressive threshold because they've got a longer timeline. timeline. So I think that there's just a lot of, um, you know, misunderstanding in that regard. In regards to being, um, you know, trying to recruit or fill the gap, why are only 15% of financial advisors women in the industry today? I think it just stems from traditionally it wasn't a role that, that women went into. If you look at our business 20 30 years ago it was a much more sales oriented business there were there were goals and deadlines and um now you know especially being an independent financial advisor you have the flexibility of running your business um maybe even doing it part-time as you're trying to you know still try to raise your family um and so i think that there's a lot of opportunity for for females in particular to become advisors and um there's also you know the the basic training, if you will, you have to t- obtain your Series Seven, obtain your sixty five or sixty six investment advisor. Those tests um, are also, you know, very reasonable for anybody that, especially that's college educated. I think that they're intimidating if you think about it, but I think that um, everyone could achieve it.
1: So let me ask you one follow up question to that. You know, we're talking about women investors, women financial advisors talking to women. Let's flip that. Has the perception changed? with a male investor, you know, not looking at their financial advisor as a man or a woman, just looking at them as a financial advisor, where I think 20 or 30 years ago, there was this built in bias. So do you think it's changing across the board where even, you know, men are just saying, I don't, I didn't even notice, you know, she was a woman. She's just my financial advisor.
4: Yeah, I do, I do think anecdotally that we are seeing that to be true. I mean, some of our top female advisors have a very small percentage of their client base that are women. So I think that, you know, there's opportunity. It's not necessarily just women looking for women. Um, but going back to the statistics, women control about 60% of the assets, right? And, and particularly over the next 10 years, as baby boomers retire and there's a lot of generational wealth transfer uh, and I already talked about women outliving men. You know, we're, I think we're going to see a huge shift in sort of who controls the marketplace, and we're all going to have to adapt to that. So, I, I personally, am um, you know, I grew up with three brothers, so I never really looked at myself. Uh, you know, as I'm a woman in this industry, I just looked at myself as being a person in this industry. Uh, But I can see how others have been intimidated by that, and so that's why I try, you know, through the Women Forward and other initiatives to just be supportive of that fact and sensitive to that fact and try to encourage everybody to get involved.
2: So Jamie, I just want to switch it a li- up a little bit. Um, not only are we talking about women advisors, but you're actually a the chief operating officer of a publicly traded company. Um, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah,
4: we were we were publicly traded, but we sold about two years ago. So okay.
2: Um, Having said that, um, if there's only 15% of advisors are uh, in our uh, women in our industry, executives is even less, right? So, you want to touch a little bit on your career path, the way you got? And, uh, you know, we're still are dealing with a glass ceiling, right, in terms of total number of women in the executive role in in financial services companies in general and certainly publicly traded companies. Yeah,
4: absolutely. I think my… My path was a little unique. Um, my first job out of college, I proudly went to Penn State, um, and we have a great alumni network. So I was actually introduced um, by a Penn State alumni to Payne Weber, um, which is a company that no longer exists, but many moons ago it did. And I came in through the the training department. So I actually wasn't a licensed professional. Um, as I started off by saying, there's within financial services and every single company, public traded or not, There's a lot of different roles, whether it's accounting, HR, marketing, uh, project management, another skill set that women tend to be very good at. So there's a lot of different job opportunities. So mine came in through training. And as I was helping to um, organize the training programs, I was sitting in the back of the room as uh, the new classes of financial advisors were coming through and studying for their series seven and about to get on their way. And I figured I should probably get my licenses, right, if I'm going to talk to all these people I figured it would make me more credible. And then, and then it just kind of grew from there. I, I managed a product. I moved over to Prudential Securities. I managed a program with about $4 billion, which in your young 20s, um, I actually was, you know, from a compliance standpoint, calling about, on about 400 financial advisors that were the top producers of the firm. And so they had to hear from me if they had a violation in their portfolio. Um, so I kind of had to thicken my skin right away on that. But it really, you know, I learned from some of the best. Some of those advisors, you know, are are highly successful and they do great things for their clients. And so just continue to grow from there. My partner and I have our own um, book of business, so clients that we work with personally, but then also, you know, within Lattenberg, um, growing as that business grew, our company bought about 10 companies over a period of 10 years. So my role with chief operating officer was often to integrate those companies, so Again, not day-to-day financial services, not number-heavy, but very project management-oriented. So I was, I was making sure that the, every list got checked off and every item got done. And I figured that that's actually one of my skill sets, I think. And I, I can see how there's a lot of uh, you know women out there that would be interested in that type of role. And so, um, long tangent. I'm sorry. I apologize. Away from you know just women in the industry, but you know there's also a lot of stats about the success of companies that are publicly traded when they are diversified in their boards, in their management. Um, and so I think, I think the the world's made great strides in the last five to 10 years since it's really been a hyper-focus of mine, but I think we do have a long way to go for sure.
1: Jamie, besides uh, being a financial advisor, what, what part of our business would you encourage a woman to gravitate towards based on, as you said, not to, not to stereotype the certain skill sets that women have, which certainly are more nurturing. What other, what other sectors, I mean, you were in compliance for a while, the CC, the compliance officer of my firm is a woman. What What other sectors would you say a woman could really excel in and maybe even outperform, you know, the men in our business?
4: Um, I'll stereotype for a second and say that women are generally pretty detail-oriented and very task-oriented and and have good time management skills. So, to accept that for certainly a stereotype. Um, But, you know, whether it's roles in compliance, operations, program or project management, I mean, technology is changing our business so much. And so, I work with Program managers, as we're implementing new technologies and doing conversions that sometimes take a year or two, somebody that has that project management type of skill set. There's so many opportunities in our business for for that type of skill set. And,
2: and I will add, uh, we look uh, for women uh, portfolio managers. Um, we make it a point when we search out for new uh, SMA or mutual fund or ETF uh portfolios that we look for those that are managed by women and obviously they need to have exceptional track records and it's not just whether it's a woman or not but those those companies are out there and those resources are out there and they do a pretty pretty good job for for us and our clients
4: you know we agree we've always tried to have balance within our group um And so whether on our side, it's operations, marketing, or our research team, which are kind of the three subsets of our asset management group, we're pretty evenly split between men and women in all those categories. So it's not like we're mostly operations is female and research and investment management is necessarily male. So, um, you know, that's definitely another level. If you want to get into getting your CFA or and becoming an analyst and, you know, that's a passion you have to have. I don't care what gender you are. That's a, a specific skill set.
1: Yeah. Jamie, young people coming into the business, in any business, you know, not just ours, you know, they are really striving to have a much more balanced work, home life. And and one of the positives of, that hopefully is going to come out of this pandemic is even when things get back to normal, I think working from home in some degree is kind of here to stay. So one, do you agree with that? And two, if that is true, do you kind of feel also that as a young woman getting into the business, this kind of work from home flexibility would, would appear to me to be an advantage uh, for them to accomplish what they want to accomplish?
4: I do agree that I think our world got turned upside down over the last year and a half. And it's not just the loss of life and the limited travel and some of the obvious, you know, stuff restaurants that you want to go to. It really is that change in the workplace. So I know our company is bracing for a much more flexible policy. I work for home from everyone for everyone, not just men or women. Right. And honestly, I think the tech companies think of, you know, the Googles and the Amazons and the apples. Um, they were doing this 10 years ago, right? Because they were technologically oriented. And so they had a lot more flexibility and that, was something that highly attracted people to want to work for that type of industry. I think the good news is our industry through the pandemic has sort of caught up to that. And I think, um, you know, whereas in the past, many women had to leave the workplace for the period of time of, you know, raising their children, there's going to be a lot more opportunity to work from home and part-time positions, I think, in every industry, but certainly in ours, I think.
2: And I think, uh, Jamie, because uh, we're getting close to the end of our, our time allotment here, but I mean, there really isn't a sector or a section of our industry that women can't, not only can't do the job, but can do it extraordinarily well, right? Whether talking about administration, financial advisor, being uh, in operations, being an executive. I mean, there's really no reason why we even need to segment women as a core group. They just our part of the industry and hopefully a greater part going forward.
4: Yeah, I agree. I've always just seen it as a job, not necessarily, you know, that I was a woman in that job, but that's a unique personality. I'm a pretty, pretty strong person in that regard with a thick skin. I certainly, you know, can uh, relate back to people, you know, maybe, you know, it didn't embarrass me. I, I, I go play golf and I'm only one of two women, you know, in all the foursomes at a tournament. And so when I go to work and it was all men in the room, Uh, for a training program, I was just as comfortable sitting there. And so I just encourage other women to not think about it, right? Just get up in the morning, get dressed, put your head on, go to work and and don't think of it as a disadvantage in any way. I I really think back to the nurturing point uh, that we as women in financial services, particularly as financial advisors that work with clients have so much to offer in uh, relating to people, helping them achieve their goals, being compassionate. I mean, there's so many stories that we could all tell about helping people through very tough times in their life, reorganizing their finance, whether it's unfortunately through some, their husband passing, uh, you know, grandchild being born on the happy side, you know, but there's a lot of opportunity for sure.
1: Jamie, thank you for joining us this evening. We really appreciate it. And um, don't be surprised if we try to have you back and finish the conversation. Thank you, guys. Great to see you. Looking forward to it, Thank you. Good to see you. We will be right back after this break. When you're thinking about where to park your cash for over 30 years in the business, I've been a fan of funds like the Labenthal Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund. It's managed for cash and designed so the interest income you receive is free from federal taxes. And who doesn't love paying less taxes? Mike, generating interest that's free from federal
2: taxes is appealing, but I've been in this business for a long time, and people love the potential for more income on their hard-earned cash.
1: Sorry, Dom, but the beauty of the fund is paying less taxes on cash.
2: No, my friend, it's the potential for more income. Mm-mm. Less taxes. More income. Less Taxes,
3: more income less for taxes, your cash. Ask your advisor mm-hmm. about the taxes, Labenthal Ultra income. Short Tax-Free Income Telling Fund less taxes, or find less out elderly. more at dcmadvisors.com.
1: Well, Dom, one thing I know we agree on, it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. Labenthal
3: Ultra Short Tax-Free Income Fund, symbol L-E-T-A-X. Tax. Before investing, you should carefully consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. This and other information is in the prospectus, a copy of which may be obtained by calling 800-441-7031. Please read the prospectus carefully before you invest. Investing involves risk, including loss of principal. There is no guarantee that this or any investing strategy will be successful. An investor should consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the fund carefully before investing. The fund is distributed by Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC, member FINRA. The fund may invest in municipal securities, the interest on which may be subject to federal alternative minimum tax. After the fund buys a security, the IRS may determine that a bond issued as tax exempt should in fact be taxable. There is no affiliation between DCM Advisors, LLC, and Ultimus Fund Distributors, LLC. DCM Advisors and Ultimus Fund Distributors are not affiliated with Labenthal Financial Services, Inc. or Labenthal Global Advisors, LLC.
0: Now, back to the Labenthal Report.
1: All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella. And you know, Dom... When I look at the fact that it's already the middle of September, I know the new year is only three and a half months away, but September as a kid, and even growing up, always felt like a new beginning as well. I don't know if it's because I always had to celebrate the Jewish New Year, or is a new school Happy New year. year, Mike. By Thank the way. you. Thank you. Or the new school year, or the new TV season started in September or football season gets started in September, but September always had a lot of new beginnings, getting a little cooler. And in our business, we always use September to make sure that our clients have their house in order. So you and I decided to use this last segment to kind of talk about some of those things as the the end of the year, believe it or not, is rapidly approaching, you know, to talk about some of the, the year end stuff that our clients should be doing.
2: Yeah, look, Mike, uh, that was uh, a great idea on your part to do this segment on uh, year-end planning uh, in September. But October 1st represents the beginning of the fourth quarter, October, November, December. And you know what? There's a lot of house cleaning that uh, needs to be done. And I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to talk about it out loud and then get on the phone with our clients to make sure that the T's are crossed and the I's are dotted.
1: Yeah. So let's just kick that off because the first one, We'll be both of our offices will be bugging our clients about is there required minimum distributions, otherwise known as the RMDs. And those are the clients that have achieved a certain age, either 70 and a half or 72, depending on when they did it. Um, they need to start taking money out of their retirement accounts, not just the ones with us, but you know, the ones Everywhere. they may have away from us. Yeah. So those RMDs are pretty important. So we're not
2: purposely not going to get into the rules. That gets a little wonky, right? Um, but basically, if you've turned 70 and a half or now the new rule is 72, if you've inherited an IRA from someone, um, the government requires that you take some money out uh, on an annual basis. And if you choose not to, it's a penalty. We clearly don't want our clients paying any unnecessary penalties, right, Mike? So they have to, as far as we're concerned, we strongly recommend that you take a certain amount of your money out of these retirement
1: accounts. Yeah. So again, I may correct you. I, I I, I think you're right the first time. We don't strongly recommend, we tell them that they have to. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> just in case compliance was watching, um, but,
2: you know, paying that kind of penalty, and, and to me, it, it kind of is a soft spot in my heart because it really is going after our older clients who may not be paying attention to the literature that comes in the mail. They may not be pen- paying attention to that notice that they got from the, from the bank or the other firm that they're dealing with. And and gosh, they end up with a pretty significant penalty. We're going to try really hard to make sure that doesn't happen, but we need clients to help us help them. And that includes making us aware of of these other retirement accounts, including an old 401k or an old 403b sitting at, a, at an old other employer. They need to help us help them.
1: Yeah. And you know, there is a. We should actually probably do a podcast about this because there is a lot of misinformation. I had a client pop in literally before the show started, um, and she said to me that her attorney told her that she has to start taking money out at age 59 and a half. Has to. And I guess that's why they're an attorney and we're financial advisors. So that's not true at all. Uh, other clients have said to me, what do I have to take out, 10% a year? So there is a lot of misconception on how and when and and what the numbers are about the required minimum distribution. But for, for this evening, I guess the punchline is that you have to take money out um, once you reach a certain age, either 70 and a half or 72. And once you start taking it out, it has to come out annually. And there's no ifs, ands, or buts or negotiations. Or negotiations.
2: <laughs> Again, I'll leave, I'll leave that up to you, Mike. And I, I actually prefer that you. Uh, uh, you know, word it so strongly. Um, and to the misinformation, maybe not out of malice, maybe they're confusing apples and oranges. It's never we, have, out of malice. we have attorneys and accounts and even financial advisors who don't understand the rules. And I'm not going to argue here that we actually do, but we do actually pay attention and try to do what's in our client's best interest. So uh, hopefully people got the message and go, hey, if nothing else, we need to call the office. Did I meet my required minimum distribution? And do I have to take these other accounts into account and formulating the number. uh, And we'll do our best to to make sure that none of it slips through the cracks. But I come back to this theme, help us help you. And that means clients should be involved and at least ask the questions.
1: Right. And then then let's flip that. Let's flip that to 401k contributions, not withdrawals. Um, It's a great time of the year to look at the amount of money you've put into your 401k, Make sure it's on schedule. Make sure it's going to meet the criteria that you've set out in terms of how much money you want to put away annually. If you happen to have turned 50 in 2021, make sure you're taking care of the the catch-up contribution. So the flip side of the RMD, Dom, is you also have to look at it when you're putting money away for your retirement and making sure that's on schedule as well.
2: Yeah, Mike, this is one of my pet peeves, because I know you do. We get the calls in March of next year, and it's like, what can I do to reduce my tax liability? And these contributions that you just rattled off, the 401k, 403b, 457 if you're a government employee, um, simple IRA plans, All of these are salary reduction plans. You need to make the contributions before December 31st. So you need to look at how many dollars you've put away this year, this calendar year, and make sure you can max out as much as you can afford. You can max out to the limits that the law allows you to do. And often we get clients that ask those questions after
1: the fact, right, which is rather frustrating. Yeah. And you nailed it. Salary. Reduction. You cannot take money out of your savings account. You cannot move money from an IRA. It has to be the, in the form of a salary reduction, which means either you're the business owner or you're an employee, but you have to communicate with whoever you work for to make sure that those numbers, as I said, are in line with what you want to try to accomplish.
2: And you literally can look on your pay stub. You can see what your year-to-date contribution is. You can call your HR department and ask them, how much have I put in so far this year? Every dollar that goes into the plan is a tax deductible dollar, the dollar that you're not going to pay federal in, in New York, New York state income tax on. Um, and just to continue on the theme, Mike, you already brought it up. Once you turn 50 years old, you get Catch up. The government allows you to actually put extra. That normally doesn't happen automatically, right, Mike?
1: Yeah, and it's catch up, not catch up. <laughs> yes, it does not happen automatically. A, a, a large company, even a small company, will never assume that you want to utilize the catch up contributions. And there's significant, Dom. If you once you turn fifty, you could put away an extra five thousand dollars.
2: In, in a 401k, you're allowed the normal contribution, but the catch-up allows you to get up to $26,000 into your retirement plan, all of it pre-tax. Same thing mm-hmm. with a 457 and a 403b and even a simple IRA regular IRA as well, but you're allowed to throw in this extra money to catch up for not putting those monies in earlier in your life. Very often clients don't know it exists, or if they do, they thought it was automatic. Oh yeah, that happens. No, it doesn't. Most of the time it does not happen
1: automatically. Right. And that is, that is, that is the key there. And the, and the other point, you know, again, not to use your word, get too wonky. You also have to be careful if you're in a member of a 401k, whether you contribute to an IRA or not, whether your spouse can contribute to an IRA, if you're a high income earner, a lot of those things, you're allowed to do it. You don't get credit for it. You don't get the tax deduction for it. So then it becomes a pain in the neck to do the bookkeeping for that. So, yeah, you, you this is a good time to really stay on top of that if you're an employee, if you're in sales selling cars or pharmaceuticals, you happen to be having a good year financially, you need to look back and make sure you're not exceeding limits, not exceeding the Roth IRA limits, which could sneak up on you. So, So in
2: terms of the 401k, 403 contributions, those are kind of set automatically. Those computer systems, those payroll systems normally do not allow you to go over the limit. But these other contributions that you're talking about, Mike, that pick up the phone, call us, talk to us. Can I make a Roth IRA contribution? Talk to your CPA. Can I make a regular IRA contribution? Can my spouse make a contribution? You need to help us help you. And that's keeping the lines of communication open.
1: Right, and as I said, this is, you know by now, if you um, are having a decent year financially, right? You, You, it's pretty much cast in stone. And to that point, Dom, um, we talked briefly with Jamie about you know some of the ben the, I don't want to use the word benefits. some of the um, pluses, if you will, that that's come out of this this horrible pandemic. Another one is it's, it's this this pandemic has given birth to a lot of entrepreneurs. and a lot of small businesses have popped up and And if you're going to start a retirement plan for 2021, Again, you're quickly running out of time and running out of options. Right now, you could pretty much set up any sort of retirement plan. But once September rolls off, then once October rolls off, you're really running out of options. So if you're a, a new entrepreneur if, and if you own a small business and want to start a retirement plan, you really have to start thinking seriously about that now
2: that that's a great point mike i'm glad you brought it up we've had the largest number of new business startups in the history of this country in the last 12 months and even if you didn't you started your business 5 or 10 years ago and you don't have a retirement plan in place you have the opportunity to create one at a very low cost Uh, These plans are extraordinarily low cost these days and put away these dollars that we're talking about. You don't have to work for that Fortune 500 company. You can do it as a small business owner. You can do it at a relatively low cost. Don't give up that opportunity. This is the time this year end last quarter is a time to be talking about it with your financial advisor, your CPA, us, and make sure we implement those and create those plans for you before year end. Right. Great point, Mike thank you.
1: and the other you know the other point dom again a little early for this but you could we, we could always keep an eye on it is tax loss selling. Uh, yeah. so you,
2: you hit the probably top 5 of my pet peeves <laughs> clients have losses in their portfolio. This that happens, right? whether it's with another firm or with us. you can't bet 100% of the time and be 100% correct. And they sit with those losses forever going, well, when it comes back up, I'll sell it. No, you have the opportunity to harvest that loss. For our purposes, again, without getting wonky, you can offset profits uh, with those losses. So you don't pay taxes on those losses. And you can even have a a small amount that will actually offset ordinary income. So you need to look at, we do on your behalf, you need to look at those losses and they have value that can offset and save you some tax dollars.
1: They have tremendous value because unlike IRA and 401k contributions, where you don't really get a dollar for dollar write-off, you could literally get a dollar for dollar write-off from losses versus gains. So it's a phenomenal use of the tax code if you are able to take advantage of it.
2: And, and Mike, I'll bring it up real quickly because again, I know you do it with your clients, I do it with mine. When we bring in a an account over from another firm. We'll look at those old statements and we'll go. Well, what is this security? Well, I invested you know five thousand in this thing and it went bankrupt. Okay, well, fine. I'm sorry it did, but but did you write off the loss? Well, I think I did. Well, if you don't tell your accountant that that thing exists, they don't know to write it off. And nine times out of ten, you know, Mike, they haven't they haven't written off that that stock, right? They haven't written off that loss. So these have value. I know it's worthless or it's depreciated in value, but they have value. Take advantage of it. Write it off. Let the government reimburse you for some of those uh, investments that didn't go so well.
1: You know, you remind me of a fam- uh, one of my favorite lines from Seinfeld, one of my and yours favorite shows, where Jerry says to Kramer, you don't even know what a write-off is. <laughs> Look, <laughs> we're, I'm
2: sorry when things don't work out, whether it's something that you did or I did, um, meaning the investor or, or us. But um, you know, harvest those losses, harvest those uh, offset gains, and put some dollars back in your pocket because you know the government is going to make you pay
1: taxes
2: when you do have a profit,
1: right? Absolutely. So make them your partner on those losses. And there are no, there's no do overs. You can't go back in 2022 and go oh, I wanted to sell this in 2021. It doesn't work that way. There's no time machine. You got to do it in the same year. You got
2: to do it. So look at your
1: statements. Call
2: us again. Let us review it for you. We are looking at those kinds of things in our portfolios on your behalf. But if you have statements from other firms or old statements, let's let's take a look at them on your behalf. And maybe, maybe we find a jewel buried in there someplace.
1: Exactly. So we will be right back, right after this break, Dom, uh, to wrap up the show. Um, So we'll be right back after this.
0: Financial planning and security can sometimes be seen as a moving target. The rules change constantly and you need guidance to stay ahead of the market moves. This is the Labenthal Report with Michael Hartzman and Dominic Tavella. We'll break down the news, trends, and overall direction of the markets. Now, back to the Labenthal Report.
1: All right, I'm Michael Hartzman, back with Dominic Tavella. And Dom, um, just to put a, a ribbon on that last segment, um, I did have one more one more point to get to that I think is really important and kind of circles right back to how we opened the show. And that is really personal to us, what we do for a living is make sure your portfolio is balanced correctly to your risk tolerance. As you said about an hour ago, markets do not go straight up.
2: Well, uh, one quick point, and then I'll comment, Mike, um, and that doesn't mean just your portfolio with us. Mm-hmm. That means your 401k at work, your 403b at work. We ask clients all the time, <clears throat> let us help you. Let us look at it. We'll rebalance it, help you rebalance it. But with regard to our portfolios, look, everybody loves risk when the market goes up. Isn't it great to have an overweighting in equities and stocks versus bonds or cash. Isn't it great that the market goes up? But we know it doesn't go up all the time. In fact, we use the analogy of a roller coaster ups and downs. And not very many people love risk when the market goes down. Mm-hmm. And it's these times when we're seeing these pullbacks and maybe a correction. Hey, can you live with that level of volatility? And if the answer is yes, great. But if it's not, it's making you nauseous. It keeps you up at night. Hey, maybe we need to look at it and adjust it.
1: And, and, and not only, and you're obviously 100% right, but it's also, Dominic, what's the money for? We ask that question all of the time. I never, I'll never, i never forget this. Back in 2001, a client called me up, and I said, what's the money for? And he goes, well, I don't need it for a very, very long time. I said, okay, then you should stay patient. And he called me back the next day and said, my wife's a little annoyed with me because she thinks that I should have told you that my daughter's getting married in three months. And that's what the money's for. So I said, three months was your time horizon. So, so yeah, what's the money for, right? You could stay riskier, you don't need it for five or 10 years. But if this money is earmarked for anything within the next six months, you really, you know, and again, when you made the investment five years ago, you had a longer time horizon. But as we're getting closer to whatever that event is, you got to let us know.
2: You got to let us know. And in an example like that, Mike, we could carve out a portion of the portfolio to take care of that need. And then we could allow the rest of the portfolio to ride, right? So we can make adjustments if you communicate with us what your needs are, what your short-term and, and long-term. And long-term is not three, six months, right? It's three, six years. Um, So if you communicate with us, we can adjust that. We can adjust it. To that need Um, but clients do have short-term needs and i think three six even 12 months you're like you know what maybe we can't put the money at risk and that risk for us is volatility right so markets don't always go straight up but communication is the key here let us know how you're feeling let us know if things are getting a little bit emotional for you and it, it god forbid it actually keeps you up at night and we'll
1: adjust it accordingly right and, and you know our job, obviously, is to do no harm, and we take that very seriously. But but the client's job, as you said, is to make sure they, that they communicate with us if anything has changed, right? It, so not only time horizon, that's kind of self-evident, a divorce, a death, uh, a grandchild, a, a new home, a boat. We always need to know what the money is for, always. And,
2: and look, Mike, we, we went through, survived, uh, I think quite well. March of last year. Um, But that was an event that no one could have predicted. Uh, It really caught everybody by surprise. Um, And that's what we always worry about, right? You're having a a need where your spouse uh, needs uh, an event or buying a house or you have a child getting married or paying for education. You know, things are looking great. But when that meteor comes out of the sky, sometimes it's really pretty and sometimes it crashes and does a lot of damage. We just need to have some of your eggs in a safe spot to protect that goal that you're trying to achieve. Um, And these times are usually when the the noise uh, scares people and and we find out maybe you weren't quite as risk-oriented as you had told us on day one.
1: Yeah. And and for me, Dom, it's always very personal. Um, My daughter, Amanda, literally started her first day of college. In September of 2008, pretty much the same day, Bear Stearns went out of business. So, so this whole thing is very personal in terms of time horizon because we we both lived through it. You have seven kids. We both have lived through this time and time again.
2: Yeah. And look, Mike, uh, you're, you're a perfect example that you knew you were going to have a need that first year and maybe not need all the money for four years, right? Um, so you can carve out a portion of the portfolio. This is not, doesn't have to be all in, all out. Let's sit 100% of your portfolio in money market. It means, hey, I think I'm going to have this budgetary need over the next 12 months, 18 months. Hey, maybe it's being ultra careful, but why not carve out a section of your portfolio and make sure that it's an. A safe spot if we don't make as much on it who cares that money is too
1: important too sacred to put at risk exactly so don believe it or not we're out of time you and i can sit here Again? and talk all night but you got to go home i have to go home and and our producer has to get to the next show so i believe we are out of time my friend uh well
2: i look forward to next week's uh I, uh podcast and then we're continuing this conversation
1: have a great night everyone and it was we'll see well, you down man. the road
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Labenthal Report.